I'm Dr. Adam Jirachi. And you are listening to Love's a Secret Weapon podcast. Welcome back to Love's a Secret Weapon with my favorite collaborator, Dr. Adam Garache. And happy birthday, Adam. Congratulations. <laughs> you have arrived at a new milestone. It is. It's pretty. Thank you. It's pretty um uh I guess odd to think of it because it is a milestone birthday and you know it's funny I, I always kind of pictured when I was in my you know late teens early 20s I always kind of wanted to hang out with the you know the the people who were uh, seemed to a, a, a bit older than me and now I'm kind of at that age which is interesting. <laughs> yeah it, it gets to be reversed I know at some point but at, at any rate you know all the numbers work for me and I'm, I'm just <laughs> delighted to share in this celebration with you and all of our community at Love's a Secret Weapon. And, and equally celebratory, mm. we have two of my favorite people. Mm, P. David Ebersole and Todd Hughes. You know, my Palm Springs buddies who have produced so many films during their career. Mm. One of them, which I was invited to sing the opening theme song, their Mansfield 6667 docudrama. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh my gosh, the, you know, if you want to go through their list of, of accomplishments, please do. Yes, they are very prolific filmmakers and, um, as you said, you've uh, been able to collaborate with them on, on one of their films. But when we uh, spoke to them recently, they also spoke about some sort of new beginnings. And in particular, David has written a novel. Phenomenal. 99 Miles from L.A., and I recommend all of our listeners going on Amazon or, you know, it is available. Uh, well, actually, officially published on the 17th of May. Mm -hmm. And we will be previewing it uh, with their interview on the 9th of May, your <laughs> birthday. And, um, <laughs> and they, um, they talk about, well, actually, David talks about how the book came to mind and um on page 186 uh i i ask that you get to that point because there's a surprise and <laughs> it involves a little old me <laughs> and um and there and there's a little bit more of little old me in there as well but i tell you that for filmmaking for as many years almost 30 years that they've been doing that professionally including, you know, working with Cher and, and mm. working with Pierre Cardin and, you know, some very significant people, they, um, they suddenly decided to shift gears and start a whole new chapter. They, and David is becoming a novelist as well as, as Todd in, in, involved in making their debut on vinyl. And we'll be previewing 
that as well, 21st century boys. I tell you, they're putting us all to shame with all these <laughs> with all these projects. But I guess it does speak to something that we often talk about, which is following your passion, following what you what gets you excited. Even if perhaps, um, you know, we're doing well in a particular area that we're engaged in and where uh, they've certainly been making films for a long time, but also about trying, you know, new things and doing new different things. Um, and that, yes. I mean, that, that kind of speaks to me very much, you know, given, uh, you know, turning a certain uh, age about realising that the time really is now to, to do these things. It's amazing how this virus has created you know, a new paradigm in, um, in our lives that, Mm. you know, some of us have just explored our creative depths and, and what has emerged Mm. has kind of blown all our minds. And, um, so, you know, there's a dark side and a light side to this experience. And, um, and, and they certainly are, you know, experiencing the one in the light. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we started this podcast during the sort of the height of the the virus in, in 2020. And we're now up to this will be episode 49. So we're almost at episode 50. And um, we've uh, got a few more episodes of this season, the third season, and then we'll, we'll take a little break and, and come back with the fourth season. So, um, you know, this is this has been what, almost two years now? Oh, and I appreciate this experience with you and with our listeners and with our fans and with our guests that come on and share their lives with us so much. Mm. Um, uh, it, you know, it is, it is a virtual experience for the most part, except for our Mike Brown uh, in-person uh, interview, but not everybody's a pilot and can just fly into <laughs> a small airport where I live. You know? True, or not, not everyone knows John Travolta and can get dropped off somewhere, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly uh, over, the, over the next season, we'll be, we'll be looking at sort of expanding. Uh, you know, we, we have all the, ep- all the episodes are available on pretty much every major platform now, but also we're available on YouTube and they are the, the audios. But I know many people like to uh, listen to podcasts through YouTube. So you can now do that through Donna's channel. Um, there's a devoted section to the podcast there. But, you know, we do have a little bit of um, uh, video that we've already recorded that we will uh, release at some point and hopefully uh, going forward in the new season have some have some uh, more video to add there. But uh, besides those um, things that are coming in the future, recently you released a song. Oh, my goodness. My dear husband, Jared. Mm. You know, he he wastes not want not you know he <laughs> he found another box of dusty recordings um not too dusty because I, they're yeah. only about a decade mm. but but um one of the last projects that I did in Hawaii before we came back to California in 2010 was at Charles Brotman's studio and I was just in, so inspired before I left Hawaii that um I, I wrote a song, went to Charles's studio, played the keyboard, synthesizer, mm. um, sang all the background, and uh, as he engineered, 
Absolutely. So before we go to our talk with P. David Ebersole and Todd Hughes, which I think our listeners are really going to enjoy, here is a snippet of a song which is available, again, absolutely everywhere. Please go to uh, Spotify or iTunes or YouTube or wherever you listen to music and have a listen to... God Only Knows. Back listeners to Love's a Secret Weapon podcast, and today we have two of Donna's good friends who are very esteemed filmmakers joining us as our guests. P. David Ebersole and Todd Hughes, producers, directors, and writers whose works include the documentaries Room 237, based around that legendary film The Shining, Mansfield 6667, which charts the legend that was 1950s blonde bombshell Jane Mansfield, hit so hard which is about musician Patty Schemmel, who is in one of my favourite groups, Hole, House of Carden, the house being the fashion house of Pierre Carden, Dear Mum, Love Cher, and My Name is Lopez, which is about, you guessed it, Trini Lopez. They've also made dozens of feature films and TV shows, and I am very pleased to welcome them to our show. David and Todd, how are you today? We're very good. You know what, we're going to bring you a... Lucy's nope. trying to get... Lucy, you cannot be in the show. <laughs> uh, I was going to... We should oh, bring you everywhere with us. That was an excellent introduction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hello. It's so nice to be here. It's so nice to meet you finally. Oh, my gosh. We are the three amigos right here, cozy, cozy on the sofa <laughs> in Joshua Tree, California. <gasps> it's my delight and ecstasy <laughs> to be with Todd and David. I love you so much. We and, love you, too. Oh, thank you. And And I would love to start by talking about how we met through a mutual friend, Cheryl Farber. I remember she, um, I worked with her at the American Film Institute and she was working at Rhino Records at the time. And she said she had been hanging out with you a bit, talking Mm -hmm. about a reissue with her husband, Steve Stanley, Cherry Red Records. And 
there was a screening at the American Cinematheque at the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, and they were showing Beach Blanket Bingo and Muscle Beach Party. And Donna was singing in between movies. And I remember it was so exciting for us because I've been a fan of Donna since as long as I can remember. I actually um, remember when the VHS player came out and I waited (laughs) and waited for Beach Blanket Bingo to come on so I could tape it and then make a cassette tape of her singing. It only hurts when I cry. So I was super excited to meet her. And then we met at Steve Stanley's birthday party not long after that. Do you remember Mm. what you whispered in my ear? About having a dream about you? No, and you were in New York going to school. You were at Columbia, I think. Oh, yes. No, when I I went to Columbia University in 1981, and Mm -hmm. I got to New York City, and I had no money, but I remember I was in Greenwich Village, and I walked into a record store, and they had an unopened copy of Beats Blanket Mm -hmm. Bingo at Capitol Records (laughs) for $60. And I was like, I've never paid that much for anything in my life. An open copy. And I did it. I went to the cash machine and I got $60 and I bought it. That deserves it. (laughs) And now it's signed. Worth every penny. And, and you know, sometimes music just feeds you more than food ever could when you're broke. So. Well, for me, that's always been the case. <laughs> um, I'm interested, just to go back even slightly further, how does a boy from LA and a boy from Salt Lake City, I hope I've got that right, meet, fall in love, and go on to collaborate with your own production house? Uh, well, you know, Todd was born in Salt Lake City, but mm. grew up in Claremont, California, which is the Inland Empire. Right. Like, Yes, yeah, beautiful. Down place. the down the freeway from Hollywood, down the freeway from LA. Same school district. And so when he when he was growing up, he always kind of dreamed of coming to Hollywood, coming to LA. So after he finished at Columbia University, he went to uh, to LA and started working uh, in the FBI, which is where I met him. We both worked mm-hmm. in the FBI together, the food and beverage industry. Hello, a little different than the FBI that we think words, of. <laughs> I wasn't sure words, where that was wait. going. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all creative good creative start uh, we, we worked at a restaurant together and mm-hmm. so uh, as Todd will tell it he fell in love with me at first sight I was training uh, at the restaurant that he was working at at Border Grill on Melrose oh I love and that I came in uh, no I was leaving uh, because I had just done my training session so I was clocking out and Todd was walking in and we met at the time clock and then he came in and asked everybody, who's the new guy? <laughs> <laughs> and he had just started going to the, or he was going to the American Film Institute where I always wanted to go, but I didn't get in. So I was very excited about that and hearing all about that. And um, that just added to my um, already. And how, and how, so how, what anniversary will, what anniversary will you be celebrating this year? Well, we just, we just celebrated 30. Then we'll be 31 years since we met at the time clock. Mm. Like out of a film, really, isn't it, Donna? This is, this is, this is the epitome of love. <laughs> and uh, anyone, uh, our listeners are very familiar, but I do thank Todd and David for their patience because in the background, which uh, our uh, 
listeners are very aware of is my my little dog Lucy. So if we do hear her barking, she is um, agreeing with everything we are saying. Yes, she sounds very happy. (laughs) (laughs) So then, um, your wonderful introduction, Adam. Mm. Um, Now broke it down, but let's talk about you know your um, film experiences and how you selected you know, your projects. I've seen a few and I was part of one. And um, actually I'm going to say right now that you, well, let me just, let me just break this down. We met for dinner at the Beverly Hills Hotel one night and sat in the polo lounge mm-hmm. with a group of people. Mary Wilson? Yes. And Cheryl and um, Steve, Steve Allison. and Allison, and we were going to see Darlene Love perform with little Stephen Van Zant, who put an incredible band together. Yeah. And at the table at the Polo Lounge, you surprised me to invite me to sing the opening theme song ah. to your Jane Mansfield movie. Ah, right. Yes. Uh, the Devil Made Her Do It. Yes. <laughs> which we which we wrote just for Donna. Yes. And now it's an opportunity to give our listeners a little preview. Okay. And then, um, and then all the films, my gosh, when we, uh, when the pandemic, no, was it the pandemic started and you arranged for an evening of a drive-in movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So normally for our anniversary, uh, which is December 21st, we throw a big party, kind of a holiday Christmas party, but it was the pandemic and nobody could come over to mm-hmm. each other's houses. Mm-hmm. And so we had this crazy idea of throwing a party on the screen. And so we rented out a drive-in movie theater <laughs> and cut together like both just c- crazy fun clips, all sorts of different things, but also an overall retrospective of our careers and all the different things that we had mm-hmm. done. 
some of the weird uh, extra things that we had done besides the movies that were released. And so it was just a wild kind of fun extravaganza on Wait the screen. Wait a minute, you were a teenager. Well, well I can that was say, the... I was also, I learned later, seven years into our relationship, that David had appeared in a film when he was a teenager, not appeared, ah, starred yes. in a film called Junior High School. And his co-star was a lady named Paula Abdul. Yes, I'd read Who this. went on to have a small career mm, in the I think music and television yeah. industry. <laughs> but that was, the, that was the headline that night. A screening of 1977's Junior High School starring P. David Ebersole and Paula Abdul. And I always say, you would think maybe that film has survived uh, because of my illustrious career. But no, <laughs> oddly enough, it keeps bubbling back up because of that little co-star. <laughs> and where can people see this? Is this is this just ensconced away in your archives? Is it? No, you know what? It's actually been reissued on Blu-ray, Blu-ray and mm. you can get it. Uh, wow! Yeah, somebody there just are told clips us on YouTube. Uh, YouTube. Yeah. Mm. You know, with the book coming out, I'm doing a bunch of readings and some things around town, and I'm working with a guy named Corey Raskin to do something in Palm Springs, and he saw that in my bio went online and looked it up. We just saw him last day. He's like, oh, and I watched your movie from 1977. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hide from anything anymore. You know, Adam, <laughs> it was so fun. It was absolutely so fun to be in, the, in your car, which was totally cool. And as soon as David would appear on the scene, all the cars would honk. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. I really... had beautiful Farrah Fawcett hair and puka shells. You were a brunette. Oh. <laughs> yes, we know. We know those old days, right, of yeah. being a brunette. And Adam, the the young one in our group, is still a brunette. I'm still a brunette. I I briefly toyed with blonde, but I I don't oh. know if my hair would be out of standard anymore. So <laughs> we're we're not going to do that. Uh, don't hit I... the bottle. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, my favorite can... bottle blonde can remain Barbara Eden. That's fine. <laughs> All right. I can vouch that teen superstars make great friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's Absolutely. true. We're both teen superstars. <laughs> 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 but um, getting getting to that question of Donna's about your because you you have quite a diverse range of uh, subjects in your films, albeit there are some there are some commonalities. But yeah, why Jane Mansfield or or why Patty Schemmel or why Cher and her mother, Georgia Holt? Well, I will been... Go ahead, Tom. I will tell you, aside from Jane Mansfield, all of them kind of came to us. Mm. So we were just friends with Patty Schimmel in Silver Lake and knew she had been a rock star in a former life. Mm. But um, then, you know, David and Patty started, uh, trans she, she wanted to transfer, save these high eight tapes she had taken when she was on tour so we were helping her digitize those and saw she had all this very intimate footage with Kurt and Courtney and Francis Bean Cobain and, um, you know, said you should do something with this. And then she said, well, why don't you do something with it to David? Mm. And then that actually, um, he worked on it for almost a year before I came on board. And that was the first time we collaborated mm. in that capacity. And that became the first of six feature documentaries that we went on to make. Take a look at the band Hole and you see Courtney Love, a strong woman worshipped by countless teenage girls. But take a listen and you'll know who's really in charge. Another woman, drummer Patty Schemmel. 
And Cher saw Hit So Hard, which led to um, Dear Mom Love Cher. Uh, Room 237 was mm. made almost simultaneously with Hit So Hard by our friends Tim Kirk and Rodney Asher, because we had just learned all this um, clearance and uh, fair use mm-hmm. legality that we put protocol yeah 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 that really you know got that film out the door and then we got a a fellowship to work at Leeds Beckett University Mm. for a semester which is where we did our Jane Mansfield in England because we had written that as a as a screenplay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and no one would touch it because Jane Mansfield's daughter is Mariska Hargitay yes the number one tv star in the world probably absolutely law and order you know no one wanted to do a movie about her mother dropping acid and uh, going out with the head of the Church of Satan with five children. Weird. <laughs> but um, even though she's well aware of our film. Mm. And, then, um, and then Pierre Cardin was just truly the beginning of, we just loved him and the universe brought us to him. We didn't even know he was a real person, let alone <laughs> was a living person and spent the last two years of his life you know, documenting him and recording him and got to be good friends with him and got to live that incredible experience Amazing. that culminated with the premiere at the Venice Film Festival with Pierre in attendance. Amazing. Dans mon occupation préférée, travail. Pierre Cardin is one of the greats. If I stand up, will you see it? Yeah. Okay. Because it really is kind of amazing. It looks like it's from today. You know, it's very important that he was the first designer to get into diversity because designers have that power to globally inspire millions of people. How many million dollars did this man make last year? His name is Pierre Cardin. He's the biggest house on the world, fashion. Pierre Cardin, il est moderne. Il est structurellement moderne. Il n'est pas de style moderne, il est moderne. C'est-à-dire qu'il a, il a une façon de penser moderne. Et c'est ça qui a tout fait. He was a futurist in the way the designs looked. He was a futurist in his idea of how fashion can be a business. He was a futurist in his all-encompassing, all-embracing idea of art and performance art and architecture. And then Trini Lopez was all of our neighbor in Palm Springs. And, you know, Joan and Gary Gant, our mutual friends, said, do you guys want to do a documentary if we pay for it? And we said, no one ever gives us that kind of offer. So. <laughs> but that's our documentary careers have been very organic, actually. Hi, everybody. I'm Trini Lopez. Ladies and gentlemen, Trini Lopez. I didn't think that any of my songs would be hits. That's for starters. <laughs> you really were the trailblazer. Trini Lopez. Trini Lopez. Trini is back. Trini is probably one of the most exciting 
young performers today. Oh, he was cute as a button. Yeah, he was a handsome kid. Like a lot of people from my generation, I discovered him through thrift store records. Gibson came to Trini and said, we want you to design two guitars for us. This guitar I've made every single Foo Fighters record with. Because people like my style, I guess, you know. My father kept coming in from Mexico to Texas, illegal, by the way. People today do not realize what he went through because he was a Mexican and proud of it. He said, I'd like to talk to you about maybe recording you. The only problem is we need to change your name. Take that Lopez name out. At that time, folk music was real in. Now he added some Latin rhythm to it, and a fusion happened. He was doing something that was so different than anything else that was being done. And so I get credit for, for starting Latin rock. The moment Trini hit with a power that was not too unlike the power of the Beatles, really. Trini was, like, more popular than any of us. Someone asked us recently, like if we thought that there was a through line, and I would say mm. that we really find ourselves drawn to people who are creative pioneers, like that they mm. have done something in in creating art that also helped to kind of change the world. And mm. uh, so mm. when we look back at the at those movies, and you say, well, why were we attracted to them, or why did we say yes to doing that one, or get our you know spend our two to five years working on that. I think it's like we get drawn in by that idea, and especially mm -hmm. we love the people who are just a little bit off-center, off-mainstream. Mm. So like mm. somebody who maybe has outlived their fame, like Trini Lopez, who was so important when he was you know, a household name and an icon mm -hmm. in the music industry. But you know, 40 years later, people were not necessarily remembering who he is. So to help, rem help bring his legacy back alive mm -hmm. uh, you know, through a documentary is a natural for us. Like that's something we're really attracted mm -hmm. to doing. And I feel like the same thing kind of Oddly enough, with Pierre Cardin, it's a household name. You think everybody knows his name. But when we were out trying to pitch and sell that movie, he had not been in the U.S. market since the 90s. And a lot of people just didn't even know who he was or how important he was. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Jane Mansfield, a lot of people dismissed as sort of a secondary Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, we found in doing Cher's mother's story that she actually had an incredible story of... Uh, of a young woman coming to Hollywood and dealing with all of the issues that women did in that era to try to succeed and then had this kind of miracle happen where her daughter got to live out the fantasy that she never did. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a great feminist story about, you know, somebody trying to, uh, you know, to make something happen for themselves and it getting passed on through legacy. My story is about empowerment and never giving up. My mom always said, you're not going to be the smartest, the prettiest, the most talented, but when you put all the things you are together, you'll be great. I always told her I wanted her to really be somebody. She was really a good kid. She had a mind of her own. <laughs> Dear Mom, Love, Cher. And, uh, you know, of course, doing a story about the drummer of Hole instead of doing mm. it about Kurt Courtney mm -hmm. is an odd sideways way in, and we love that. Like that's a, that's sort of in our wheelhouse. So I think that's like when we think about why we do them as opposed to sort of like what we ended up doing, we realize that like we're attracted to that other side.
Mm. Yeah. And Dr. Adam, you know, when um, for our speakers benefit, you know, when <laughs> when you're in a long term relationship and you really know who you are as individuals and you collaborate and work together as we did, with, you know, on our on the memoir that you mm-hmm. so succinctly helped me with that that energy produces that kind of motivation, you know, to want to make uh, to to tap into a co-creative energy so that you can relay that kind of message to to the world and and it has a lasting quality to it. There'll always be an interest as long as we're here you know, <laughs> for people to tap into the work that you've done. Mm. I think that's so true. And and Todd and David, uh, you know, I, I of course want to speak about David's book today. But before we do, as I mentioned, you've you've also done feature films and and TV. Are there any of those projects that particularly stick out for you? Well, I mean, your first is always so important, and so uh, mm. we just actually had a chance to rewatch the Todd's first feature film, which is called The New Women. Uh, and it stars Mary Warrenov, who is an incredible figure. She was an Andy Warhol superstar and she starred in Roger Corman films mm-hmm. and uh, Eating Raul at Rock and Roll High School. And she's one of those people mm-hmm. that we were just, you know, huge fans of and happened to become friends with her and made this vehicle with her as the star of it. She's, you know, literally in every frame. And it was funny to go back and watch it now because we just we just saw sort of an anniversary screening of it. And uh, and like and be so proud of it. Like it was really fun and funny. It was really really great. And it's one of those weird sort of almost out of the mouths of babes. We made that as a first feature. Todd, you know, directed. Mm. We co-wrote, and I was a producer on it. Uh, mm. Again, one of those sort of early collaborations. And what do you think in those early early days when you look back at that? What do you? This is going to be very psychological, but I have to, you know, because I'm, <laughs> a, I'm in that area. But yes, we're, doctor. we we we're, are we're on. Ready the, for your question, we doctor. are on the couch. I promise. We, Lie down if you need to. All on the couch. <laughs> are there three on a lying down on the couch? Could be interesting. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm we're down not with the, that. Alma, we're reclining. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But you know, what do you think drove you at that time? You know, was it was there just this passion for filmmaking? Was it that you had all these ideas and you couldn't wait to implement them was there something when you look back at that early work now that you that you see in your younger selves well what's so interesting is when I started out my idols were John Waters and um, Russ Mm. Meyer Mm -hmm. and I was very underground and David was very trained very uh, formal Um, he'd gone to NYU film school and won best film there he'd gone to the American Film Institute and won best film there and so we were so different as creative individuals and I remember a friend of David's mother who had been in the around the entertainment industry when I first met David she said it'll never last right entertainment uh, relationships in this business you can't both do the same thing and I beg to differ because (laughs) what was interesting was when David and I started working together, his classic sense of Hollywood and my underground sense of Hollywood combined into kind of a very commercial sensibility. And we started writing romantic comedies together. Mm -hmm. And then we found ourselves in Hollywood with agents and going to studios and living that whole fantasy. But it really, you know, by that time, 
you're trying to be something you're not, right? We're trying mm. to turn the two things we're doing into what's commercial mm. in Hollywood. And Hollywood doesn't go for a variety or creativity. They want you to do what you do and do it well. Mm. And so that really started us growing in different directions as artists and filmmakers. And the documentary was really just this amazing mm thing that let us do everything down to recording a theme song with Donna Lauren, right? <laughs> For your Jane Mansfield documentary. And, you know, what other medium can you do that in where you, you know, you do get to work with movie stars and you do get to work with recording artists. Mm. And, so, you know, of course, your cinematographers and your editors and, you know, write these stories that are true and also you know, you have to infuse them with drama and plots and... And meet all of these incredible historic figures too, right? Like yes. we, end up, we end up getting to meet people like John Waters and, and Kenneth Anger mm. as colleagues and peers, interviewing them into, you know, into the fabric of what we're making. So it's, I was listening to Todd talking about that and I was thinking, you know, the, the original impetus, I think, is truly out of creativity. You really are young and you want to, you want to like, get it out of you and talk and say what's on your mind and and it's very pure mm. and then you start to get all of this ambition and you start to try to figure mm. out how to make it oh, right how can how i get fit in how can i fit in how can i get how can i get to the next level and we went through years of that of trying to figure out how do we get ourselves you know into the industry and accepted and then somehow these documentaries came along and we went ah forget it and we started doing like <laughs> just what we felt like doing again and it went completely full circle mm -hmm. and there's an incredible freedom to making documentaries which is that you really as soon as you have access mm -hmm. to an idea or to uh you know to a story so for instance when patty brought us those tapes you suddenly now have complete freedom to make something because it doesn't cost very much to go out and mm -hmm. sit down with somebody and interview them with a camera. Mm -hmm. And once you now get everything back home, like, you know, you, you've gone out, you've collected interviews, uh, you can start to fashion and put this thing together. Whereas to try to make narrative films or things supported by the industry, mm -hmm. you have to have millions of dollars mm -hmm. all at once. Mm -hmm. And so we suddenly found this creative freedom rediscovered mm -hmm. after years. And I think what's funny is that the writing of the books is kind of doing it all over again. Mm. Mm. We're finding if we can back off from the ambition and decide to just sort of do what is coming naturally, mm -hmm. uh, you know, then then out it comes and it is what it is when it's done. Yes. Yeah. It have, doesn't cost much. I have a comment because many, many, many years ago in, when I, I was like 21 and um I was introduced to um, a Dutch philosopher, Spinoza, and um, the first thing I learned from this uh, Dutch philosopher uh, in, a, in a book that he wrote was ambition is a disease. Mm. And it, you know, because it is a thought process and you're not, and it does bypass the heart. Mm -hmm. And, and, and one thing I, I just kind of want to get into maybe the weeds with you. So over 30 years, um, have you ever experienced ego clash at all? Between the two of ego? us? I really don't think so. I mean, no. I, don't, I don't think that that's ever how we function either as a couple or as a creative team, which is mm -hmm. that we're, we have very differing strengths. 
right? Mm -hmm. Very differing weaknesses mm -hmm. too, but very differing <laughs> strengths. And I think that we've been able to, uh, I don't know how we saw it so early, mm -hmm. but we were able to recognize that and say, ah, you know, this is yours, this is mine in terms of like how to accomplish something, pull something off, mm -hmm. whether at home or, you know, or mm -hmm. into the creative work. The very first creative thing that we ever did together in tandem uh, was an accident, which is that uh, uh, I had a deadline to get a screenplay done and there was not enough time. And it was an adaptation of a book. And so I had highlighted the whole book. I knew the structure of it, but I didn't actually have time to do it. So I knew that Todd was also a filmmaker and a writer and I was at home and I was throwing scenes over my shoulder and saying, write this, get this written. Like, you know, I, I don't, and Todd is very fluid and very fast. So he would be like, boom, and give it to me. I'd be like, ah, now I can shape it. And that became an ongoing kind of uh, motif in our work. I love that, the harmony. That he's quick and fast, and I love to shape. Mm. Oh, well, this is getting a little bit <laughs> It's getting warm in here. I, don't make me put that explicit sign on this episode, guys. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I know my, my experience with you, and I've known you for uh, mm, mm, over a decade, at sure. least over, <laughs> you know what, I have been back from Hawaii, and I was still living in Hawaii when I first yes. met you. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like a decade and a half, or who's counting. But anyway, I have never experienced um, any kind, uh, anything other than a healthy ego between the two of you. And, you know, and that's that's pretty basic. So give me that microphone. Yeah. <laughs> it was Donna, it was my discovery. Donna, it's mine. It's mine. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, it's interesting when you do talk about that idea also of process versus outcome that we can be so driven on I wanna achieve, I wanna be a star, I, I wanna be known. And I think sometimes if we step back and just focus on the process, and we're all guilty of this, I've done that as well. You know, I wrote a paper recently uh, to do with COVID and I thought everyone's going to read this, everyone's going to cite it, they're going to want me to speak on radio and everywhere and it's, it's there's been barely a whisper and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but a big fat flop. But um, Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but when you separate it and go, I'm going to focus on the process of producing something or creating something and leave that other stuff to however that happens and however that goes, I think you do have that freedom to perhaps even do some of your best work or some of your most creative work because it's not necessarily about how can I put this into a box that I think is is going to hit the mainstream. Yeah. and that, But one of the things I think that we struggle with so much is that that can be very true, and yet you still want the audience to find the work and mm -hmm. see it. Uh, mm -hmm. So like you're saying, it's a big flop. Well, is it a big flop because it wasn't good? No, it was a big flop because it didn't get out there the way you wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm finding myself back at square one now in this, mm -hmm. you know, trying to create a career mm -hmm. as a novelist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all of those things that I've built in 25 plus years of being a, you know, an accomplished filmmaker, I'm... I'm back at cold calls and trying to get bookstores being willing to let us come in and do readings and getting treated as though, you know, I'm, I'm this crazy outsider trying to work, worm his way into their world. Mm. And your mm. ego gets that check of like, you know what? I don't have any cred in this world. Like I have mm. zero, zero cred yet in the world of, of you know, writing and, and doing a novel. So you got to pay your dues all over again. 
uh, and it's interesting. Like it's not uh, at first; it's kind of um, uh, daunting, and mm-hmm. and you sort of because, as I say, this book that I've written, you know, we shall see whether or not people say it is good or it's bad. That's for the audience to decide. Mm. But you want the audience to find it to say that, mm-hmm. right? So, that's right. The wanting to get it out is uh, is mm-hmm. one of the big struggles. And I also would like to make comment because. Whatever we're going through that creates a humbling experience is the antithesis, I'm talking big picture, of greed and arrogance. Mm. That humility is is the um, antidote for greed. The more humility that each of us as individuals experience, however we do through, God forbid, illness, you know, um, war that's going on, you know, for this planet to shift, you know, out of this arrogance and greed that we've been stuck in for so long. Mm -hmm. So thank you for experiencing humility and, and beginning a new career. And I think it's time to focus on 99 miles from L.A. Yes, please. Oh, 99 <laughs> miles from L.A. David, will you please tell our listeners how you came upon this concept? Well, you know, it's a, it's a song. And it's a song by... Johnny Mathis, or at least made famous by Johnny Mathis. It's actually written by Albert Hammond, uh, who did, you know, It Never Rains in Southern California. Mm, yeah. But, um, but Donna uh, and Jared were new to, to, no, we were new to the we desert. We were all you new. Were all, well, we were all new to yeah, the desert. Yeah, we were yeah. all new. <laughs> and it was, it was uh, Donna's birthday, and she had invited us to go out and see Johnny Mathis in concert at a Palm Springs venue. And so, you know, we were like, well, we really love seeing the great voices live. Let's do it. And we actually ended up, I think it was just availability. We ended up like in the back row. We yeah. were in the nosebleed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in the last row. But during the concert, he sang 99 Miles from LA, a song that I had never heard before. Me and either. I actually turned on my, my phone to record it not, you know, to capture the concert, but to sort of to remember the song mm. after that because it was so beautiful. Keeping my eyes on the road I see you Keeping my hands on the wheel I hold you Ninety-nine miles from L.A. I miss you, I miss you, please be there. Passing a white sandy beach, we're sailing. Turning the radio on, we're dancing. Ninety-nine miles from LA. I want you. I need you. Please be there. And it started this process in my head, sort of thinking about a uh, a story. You know, it's a story of of uh, kind of uh, a love that that seems to have gone 
wrong for a very mysterious reason. They're separated from each other, mm. and, you know, at a, at a distance. And our singer, our, our speaker is hoping that when they come back together, that the love will still be there. And yes. so it has this mm-hmm. sort of, you know, uh, longing and desire underneath it. And so from that, oddly enough, I sort of on this, you know, uh, crime story uh, and, um, you know, kind of film noir mm. uh, adventure, uh, which is this bisexual love triangle where um, three people come together to commit a crime mm. and uh, two out of three people fall in love with the wrong person. And that's what sort of ends up making everything go downward uh, spiral in their, in their attempts to steal all of this cash. You are the new Agatha Christie. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. It is gripping, right, Adam? We've both read it. I couldn't put it down. I finished it in a night. And I have to say, I'm so glad that you described the plot because I was thinking, how can I describe it without giving away some of the plot points? Um, you know, I had written down, you know, you think of film noir, this is book noir. Um, and all I could really say is that it was really about a burnt out music uh, professor, singer, um, a handsome bartender and a, I guess a mysterious married woman and their lives become entangled with, as you said, with money, with drugs and, and with lust. And so I'm glad you Good. could describe it. because I, <laughs> I told you I have to bring you everywhere now. And with that, I would like to read page one, mm. which are the lyrics of this gorgeous song, Keeping My Eyes on the Road, I See You. Keeping my hands on the wheel, I hold you. 99 miles from L.A., I kiss you. I miss you. Please be there. Passing a white sandy beach, we're sailing. Turning the radio on, we're dancing. 99 miles from L.A., I want you. I need you. Please be there. The windshield is covered with rain. I'm crying. Pressing my foot on the gas, I'm flying. Counting the telephone poles, I phone you. Reading the signs on the road, I write you. 99 miles from L.A., we're laughing. We're loving. Please be there. Wow. When do we get the Donna Lauren version? I want a fan now. I need cooling. <laughs> the audio book and a cigarette, please. Oh, oh, oh. And, and, um, <laughs> my, my coliest bookmark. And, and it's so, so funny because as you read each chapter, and it is compelling. It really is. There are features. I am not a mystery reader. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like a wimpy romantic comedy person I, I just you know, like that um but but in reading this I learned like all of a sudden an Emily Dickinson poem you know you your way of describing everything I never had to look one word up in a dictionary oh that's nice and <laughs> you know because usually authors you know challenge you in some way right. but you made you made it very succinct and um and you told the story and you made it visual mm-hmm. you made it sensual 
So it's a sensory uh, experience. And you really felt for each uh, primary character, the Frank, you know, the lost soul with, uh, with a, a voice that's singing, you know, this song in his head and out loud to himself. And, um, and then we have Shelley, this very, very uh, dissatisfied married woman whose husband, um, not to give the plot away, um, has literally quote unquote dirty money, and you'll have to read the book to find out what that means. Because they do steal a buried treasure. <laughs> and 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 then this bartender, it's like, where did Ramon pop up? You know, and and then Frank and Ramon and Shelley and the three of them, you know, have this um, web that they're tangled in, and they're trying to untangle it, and it seems to be a successful situation. But what the steps you take us through, you know, gives us each an experience, but you're also um, giving us a cultural experience. And, you know, when you walk us through UCLA, when they're there, you know, the way you describe it. So I I was very enriched by reading your book. And um, and then I was so surprised, so <laughs> surprised, just about at the very end of the book. Please. Ah, well, you know, uh, my character, uh, my main character, Frank, is a music teacher, and he does have moments, even like in the in sort of the worst things that are happening, where music occurs to him, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> he'll sort of he'll sort of think of a lyric. Or, uh, or something kind of pops into his head from a story, from a song. And so as a tribute to the way that the story came to me, which is that, you know, I really was introduced to this song via this moment with Donna. Uh, I, uh, my main character has a moment when he reflects on what he thinks is a perfect rendition of a song because he also always imagines for himself how he would do it differently than the person who recorded it. But in this case, uh, he brings up uh, you know, it only hurts when I cry at a very kind of emotional moment in the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he reflects that this is one that I would say was done perfectly. There's no there's no improving upon it. Um, the way that it shows on the page gave me a new interpretation. Ah. The way that you integrated the, the lyrics um, was completely different than Beach Blanket Bingo. <laughs> there was no burnt weenie in that scene. <laughs> well, uh, maybe. <laughs> I was into the, into, the, into the bisexual themes, perhaps Woo! you might. Maybe Beach Blanket Bingo's got a whole new life in a different uh, senior underbelly. Bingo! <laughs>
<laughs> I was. You know, it's interesting you say mm. that because it was part of what I was trying to do was was weave things in. Mm. So, and I do sort of call this, um, and I think that's a, that it's a term that I picked up from elsewhere. I don't think I created it, but the idea of auto fiction, which is autobiographical fiction. So you're using your own life and your own experience, mm. but you're burying it into story. Mm. And so. When you talk about UCLA, I went to UCLA mm -hmm. as an English major. Mm -hmm. uh, people ask me, which character is you in the book? Mm -hmm. Well, Shelley's the English major, right? Mm -hmm. but, the, uh, but the sculpture garden where uh, Frank is hanging out, he's a, you know, he is a professor. That's where I used to hang out when I mm -hmm. went to UCLA. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the dog that dies at the beginning of the story mm -hmm. is a story that Todd and I actually went through together, mm -hmm. which is that we... Uh, our dog was on its last um, mm. breath. We mm. were at the vet and we said, well, we can't just do it like this. So we went out to the mm. UCLA Sculpture Garden, mm. laid with her and sobbed to, you know, 200 pound men sobbing on a blanket, mm. uh, you know, to let, to have that last moment with our dog out in nature. And so I brought all of those things together mm. into that scene. You know, none of any of them are quote unquote me, but everybody is, is sort of, through personal experience, mm -hmm. and the, and speaking of of a, a dog, you also talk about Oopsie Daisy. Well, cute little Oopsie my Daisy, my very favorite favorite name <laughs> in the whole book, Oopsie Daisy. So so uh, it, Oopsie Daisy is the fourth lady pitbull that we have adopted mm. from mm. shelters. And right now we have two. We have Fido Galore and <laughs> Izzy, two, two lady pit bulls. And uh, Oopsie was sitting at my feet through most of the writing of this book. And a little like, you know, Lucy trying to get into the show. She, uh, <laughs> you know, she wanted to get into the book. And so I promised her at some point I'll figure it out. I'll get you into the book. And I needed kind of a symbol of hope at one point. And so that's, mm. uh, that's where Oopsie Daisy comes in. And Oopsie, Oopsie Daisy, I mean, that's just, a, that, that lightens my moment. You know, anytime I do an Oopsie Daisy climbing my new stairs, <laughs> I can say, <laughs> it's just an Oopsie Daisy. Yeah. I like to say her prison name was Daisy. When she was in the shelter, her name Aww. was Daisy. Aww. And we had, a, we had met a dog in Paris named Oops, and we thought that was such a great name for a dog because it was so cute. Like, you know, it kept falling asleep, and the woman would say, Oops, he fell asleep. And so, <laughs> and so we're like, Oopsie Daisy. They'll keep both I names, love, and she'll be used that. to the name already. And, yeah, that's where it came Aww. from. Fantastic. In the book, it's funny, actually, because he sees, he sees this dog and wants to name it Daisy, um, and uh, the boy he's buying it from turns it over, and and he goes, "Oh, oopsie daisy, it's a boy, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not a girl." And so, and so then the dog likes the name. <laughs> well, of course, the dog has a soul. We all have a soul. Yes, and I'm very happy that we are all acknowledging that because it's true. <laughs> Trees have souls, uh, you know. Yeah. We are all, we are all yeah. one soul. Anyway. Proceeds, all proceeds from the book, a, a small amount of proceeds from each book goes towards the Palm Springs Animal Shelter, which my publisher wanted mm. to do because he knew how important dogs are. Yes. Uh, so it's kind of a nice, it's a nice thing that, that came out yes. of including the dogs in the book. And I have to ask you, David, are you including a bookmark like you gave to me? Well, we have them. And so they'll be at bookstores. Because um, so that was really, I, you know, I was... From the, that's from Pelicanesis as well. Mark Givens is our publisher. And uh, and I love them. I think they're really great. He, such he did a, them. It's such a cool... And that way, 
when you autograph your book on your tour, aren't you? Are, you're going across country right, touring. We yeah, we're driving. Uh, we start on June first, and we're going from Palm Springs to Provincetown, and then down through New Orleans, and yeah, all the way. We're gonna drive both directions, and with the dogs in tow. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So then, my personal signature from you is on the bookmark which I can use for your book as well as others, which I, th I think it's a great addition. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the artwork is, uh, emulates the cover of the book, and it's just sensational. Mm. I love it. And I love you. Thank and you, I love you. And, I, and we are the three amigos. And Jared, my dear husband, is sitting by just <laughs> making sure everybody is in <laughs> in step Jared's, Jared's part of the posse <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Adam it's been my thrill and privilege to have my dear friends on Love's a Secret Weapon Like rock.